And my parents would always say to me, you can travel when you get married. From the Department of Marketing at Deakin University, this is The Marketing Lab. My name is Paul Harrison and I'm a Senior Lecturer and Unit Chair of Marketing and Consumer Behaviour in the Deakin Business School at Deakin University. Hello and welcome to the Marketing Lab at Deakin for our final episode for 2021. We've got exciting things coming up in 2022, but for this final episode, our guest was Upma Verdi uh, when she spoke to the MBA students in our In Context component of the MBA. Upma is Deakin alumni. She is the head spice dealer and the founder and CEO of Chaiwali, which is a female-centric, female-owned, small Australian business who are passionate about cultural preservation through the art of chai. And it is very delicious chai, let me tell you. I have tried it and I'm a, I'm a convert. I'm a loyal buyer of uh, Chaiwali chai. So for Upma and for Chaiwali, spices and blending flavours were literally in their blood. Her grandfather was an Ayurvedic home and homeopathic doctor who specialised in remedial teas and tea blends in India. And Upma says in some of her promotional material that Chai Wali is not just about creating amazing spice blends and flavour compositions, but it's about authenticity, integrity, empowerment and family. Now, Upma is a bit of a star amongst the Indian community in Australia. She's a bit of a star at Deakin, being Deakin alumnus and alumni of the year in 2020. And it was such a pleasure to have her talking to the students in the MBA. So here is edited excerpts from that conversation. So Upma, you're a, a Deakin alumnus and an alumni of the year from 2020, yes, <laughs> where we first met when I hosted the alumni awards. So tell us what you studied at Deakin and why you chose yeah. Deakin, but also what led you to establish Chai Valley. I studied a Bachelor of Laws and Commerce at Deakin. I started in 2008 and finished up in 2012 and 2013. And I, um, I majored in finance in my Bachelors of Commerce. And I chose that partly because of my family. <laughs> I didn't really have a, too much say coming from an Indian background. My parents were quite stern with what they wanted us, me and my brother to study. And I tried to ask my dad if I could do law and arts, major in psych. And he said, no, you have to do bachelor's <laughs> of laws and con, major in finance, literally to the point of what I majored in was written out for me in my family. So it was a bit about um, what I could get into and also the family expectations around what we should study. So that's, um, that's how I kind of, what I studied at Deacon and I went to Burwood campus. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved my time at Deacon. And Chaiwali was something that I was doing for fun. It started off as a very, very small idea in my second last year, my last year of Deacon Uni. Can you walk us through that story, the Chaiwali origin story? So obviously, like you say, it's in your blood, but how do you go from a law degree to saying, I'm going to establish a business around Chai? <laughs> Um, I was not really allowed to travel 
a lot. Um, and my parents would always say to me, you can travel when you get married. And that was the common term. Like you travel when you get married just because of, I guess, having a daughter and something could happen, just the safety around that. And so going to Deakin and I used to apply for exchanges. So I did an exchange semester. That was my way of traveling. So my schoolies in year 12 was going to India and drinking chai with my family there. That was, I guess, the extent of um, traveling for me. And I really wanted to explore the world. So I, through Deakin, applied for exchange semesters. My first one was actually in India, where I got to travel and see India without my family, which was amazing. But my second semester abroad was Austria. And that was really Ooh. pivotal to Chaiwali because it allowed me to live abroad away from my family and kind of grow my values in terms of who I am without my family and without my kind of support network. And one thing I really missed was Chai. Like I really missed the family community feeling of each morning waking up to a pot of chai brewed by my mom left in a thermos after she's gone to work and I really missed that and so being in Austria where English is a second language when um, German is mostly spoken there I was traveling around and I actually had spices in my backpack where I'd go traveling I'd stay in hostels or motels and I would brew up chai for people and connect with them over. And that became like my language, like my love language is spices. And so I was literally um, making pots of chai and conversing with other people. And I just had this innate knowledge culturally from my grandfather about, I guess, like fennel seeds helps to prevent the formation of gas or cinnamon is detoxifying or um, cloves are known to create warmth and health as an antiseptic. There were, these were just things I kind of grew up in my culture knowing about. No intention of it being a business at that stage like I was going to be a lawyer like that was what was set for me and then I I came back to Australia I finished up my law degree and I started to create little blends and it was really really small scale just create create blends with whatever my grandfather had left us and the spice blends I had in the kitchen and recreate some of his blends and reinvigorate them and I, I became a lawyer I was working as a commercial lawyer in a digital um, kind of tech startup. And it was amazing. But alongside that, I started Chaiwali on the side. And it was with no intention to create a business. It was more so I wanted to, A, bring honor to my grandfather's blends and really captivate them and not let them go to waste. And B, bring something authentic that, my, that I want to drink and not pick up something instant or not authentic from the, the shop. And see, and, I, and now I know looking back at it, it was a large part of me was to establish myself as a first generation Indian Australian migrant. Like, who am I? What do I stand for beyond being a lawyer? Like, how do I express myself creatively as someone who was born in India, but grew up in Australia? And how do I use my roots um, in a traditional way in a modern modern context? So I guess the origin story of Chaiwali is really natural. It's really organic. It wasn't meant to be a business. Like if I look back now and I think to myself that I was, I'm going to be leaving my job as a lawyer in a few years time to run a business solo, I, I would not have ever thought I'd be doing that. Like I, I honestly pinch myself when I leave the warehouse with that. So I had to, Chawali grew and it grew quite organically and it was a bit of a blur for about three years because I, I worked extremely hard to get it off the ground. But it just came to a stage where I had to make a decision of, of being a lawyer or being a Chaiwali. So what did your dad think about you going, hey, 
I don't need to be a lawyer anymore. I'm going to make tea it, it was <laughs> for <something>, everyone. <laughs> it was something quite, I think, at first embarrassing for them because chai is something so habitual in the Indian culture. It's like water. Like people don't drink water. They drink chai because it contains water. So hmm. it's just, it's they, the concept is that it's so natural to the Indian culture and so many other cultures around the world. Tea is the second most consumed beverage in the world. So it's not something that was in their plans of migrating to Australia, of bringing up children successfully. And because success for a lot of migrants looks like, especially Asian migrants, looks like suit and tie, office that's what success looked like and so I kind of what I was doing was shaking up what they perceived to be their reality Mm. (laughs) and what they expected so it was really difficult for them to get their head around and it wasn't until we I had a full page feature in the age and it was on the second page of the age and my dad opened up the paper and with like a lot of Indian um, parents they need someone else to tell them that their kids are being successful so that's the point I can see Rosha really nodding her head um (laughs) That's the point that my dad was like, literally, okay, you know, you can run your business full time, like whatever it is. And that was the point, I guess, where things really changed when we started getting a lot of PR, a lot of natural PR happening. And my mom no longer was crying about someone who's going to marry me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know that you're married. (laughs) So it all worked out. How fantastic is that? So this is obviously a marketing program. Can you talk us through, I mean, I guess there's two two parts to this question, but first of all, this idea about the mainstreaming of Chai, but also then your customers. Who are the customers of Chai Wali? So when I started Chai Wali in terms of marketing, and I'll kind of put this into context of how I started my marketing, and I did things backwards. So I didn't do like a persona profile of a person. I, yeah. that, I probably still haven't even done that. But um, I, I, I kind of did things very opposite to what people would do in starting a business. I literally created um, social media platforms for Chaiwali. And the intention was to share stories, to share stories of my family, my heritage, my background, Um, through tea and cultural events like there's so much that I saw that people didn't know about from the Indian culture or diverse backgrounds like Holi, Diwali, Raksha Bandhan like there's all these events that are so pivotal like people take two weeks off in India for this stuff and I will share that through Chaiwali like but through the lens of tea Um, so I was really unique with that in terms of how I was expressing Chaiwali in the marketing platform it was all about storytelling and captivating the audience but then as it grew, I had all this amazing data that I could capitalize on and use after all these years. And so now when I look back, um, I can see that we have such a diverse range of consumers. Like they're not, they're, they're also, and I look through the orders and I'm just amazed because I guess my business, the whole messaging and whole value set is diversity, culture, inclusion, Um, And so our consumer base is really broad. We've talked a little bit about this before, but you talk a lot about the why of a business. Talk us through your conceptualization of of the why of your business and the why of a business in general. What do you mean by that? So I probably every six months go back to the drawing board. I find that six months is like usually the time that I start getting a little bit confused and like with decision-making and in terms of all the growth and things that are happening in Chaiwali and product development, I always go back to the whiteboard of why. Why, why did I start this? Why am I doing this? Why, we, why do we exist? Um, and 
for me, I go, the why, as I mentioned to you, why I started Chaiwali was to create authentic blends and share authenticity of the Indian culture through tea. And I guess that why is still the same. Like we, even though when I started, it was one blend of like one 11 spice chai blend we had, we now have about 60 to, I think now, yeah, I was checking earlier about a hundred different products that we sell. Um, but they, each and every product has its own purpose. So my why doesn't, it's, there's like one big why, like why does Chai Wally exist? But then each and every decision also has a why, like why are we doing this? Or why do I need to create this blend? I don't just create blends for the hell of it. Each blend has its own why to attach to it as well. It sounds, it's what I, I really like, and this is important in marketing is storytelling and narratives. And the, as you talk about the why of even creating a blend, it sounds like you create a story around it, even just for yourself. As you develop the product, you say, what is the story of this particular blend, this product? To some degree, what what I think is is really interesting is that a lot of the time people, when they create a new product, is that they they don't think about the story behind the product, how people will come to that product. It's just seen as a transactional thing. It sounds like yours is a much more relational storytelling narrative kind of approach. Yeah, definitely. Even each product has its own birth certificate. So when I conceptualize something, I might drink it and sit on it with my family for a year. Okay. I might not even release it to public. Like there's a blend that we released like a month ago. Um, and I've been drinking it most of my life, but it was so simple, but I have, I create a birth certificate for it and each blend will have that attached to it of who can, who formulated it, me, or did someone in the team, Chaiwali team help with the inspiration of it? How was it conceived? How to drink it? Who's the mother? Probably me, mostly me. Um, Mm -hmm. and in terms of how do we, who do how do you pair it? The flavor notes around it. So it has that messaging, but it also, there's also a lot of, I guess, mm, storytelling attached to the blend so for example a golden chai blend is from north india which is where i come from in india and it's a homage to where i come from it's a homage to all things that are great in the north india you talk also about authenticity and it's a word that's thrown a lot around a lot in marketing how would you define authenticity i think that authenticity and i was talking to someone about this quite recently is about how in my capacity am I able to share something in my authentic way? So for my parents, so authenticity will be completely different to how I've been taught things because I'm a hybrid cross-generational Indian Australian. So for me, what is authentic will be different to what is authentic from them because I grown up in Australia. So I guess authenticity is having integrity in what you're sharing. It's it's interesting you talk about the Indian Australian experience. I mean, I, I used to be the general manager of an Indian Australian dance company. And one of the things that was very interesting about it was that the Indian community had a particular perspective of what Indian dance was. Um, Padma was a contemporary dancer. So she was trying to introduce contemporary ideas. How do you how do you, um, you know, you're creating different types of blends that may not necessarily be the same blends that people remember, you know, the diaspora may not remember these things. How do you talk about these to, as, as a, you know, I think authenticity is a good word, is that this is your authentic experience of chai. How do you kind of communicate that across the generations of Indian Australians? Well, I, I guess I, 
share things with emotional narrative attached to them as well. So I share things from my perspective, but I'll also tap into my community. So the community of Chaiwali, and I call them humans of Chaiwali. And I'll actually get them and I'll interview them and I'll ask them about a particular blend and share their narrative around it and what it means to them. So I'll, we'll do this fortnightly or weekly on our social media and we'll reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, you're a big part of the Chaiwali community. Um, you may come from the Indian background, you may not, but what does this blend mean to you and what, how does it speak to you? What's it a part of your ritual? And we'll get those stories and we share them. So everyone becomes part of the journey as well. So that's the type of analysis that you do, which is still incredibly valid, which is going to the community, gathering information, and then in a way what you're doing is piloting the product a little bit, aren't you? Is that, yeah. is that a good, a reasonable yeah, way exactly. to do that? That definitely could be right. I, I also, when you speak about, I guess, authenticity and how we're talking about that at the moment, I had a large chai company. Um, it was, it's a chai company based in Melbourne. They contacted me. I'm friends with them. And they said, hey, Uthma, we're getting a lot of hate mail from people. And they're saying that, they're saying that we're culturally appropriating the Indian culture. Um, can you shed some light on that? And can you help us? Because, and I'm like, look, I, I don't know. I've never received any hate mail. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't relate. Um, I can definitely help you out. I'm happy to, happy to review your website and your messaging branding and, and see what you're doing wrong or right. And so I went through their profile and their website. And it was clear to me uh, that they were offering a product which they were marketing it as an Indian product, but it was definitely a, like a westernized version of something Indian. And I said to them, you just got to be true to what you're selling. If it is a westernized chai latte version of an, of an Indian drink, own it, own what you're selling, be authentic to what you're selling. And, and don't, if you, if you don't do that and you're mixing and you're filtering your messaging, people are going to see through that. Your perspective sounds like a very sophisticated understanding of both culture but also of how people think. Like you you have deep insight into how people might might be thinking about your particular product. I think, you know, you are incredibly passionate about about your product, but it all you also have a very sophisticated understanding of your market. I would you agree? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think I, I, t- I give this to the team all the time, a message of put yourselves in their position. So even yesterday, we have a new person joining the team in the packaging department. And she was asking me about how to package something. And, and I was helping her around that. And I said to her, it's simple. Like, how would you like to receive it? Like, how would you like to receive this box? Like, put yourself in that position. And I think for me, it's always it, with marketing, what would I like to read? What would I like to consume? in a world where we're filtered with so much communication and so, so many brands at the moment, especially lockdown ads, there's so much marketing ads and generation that are targeting us. And I don't want to consume that. So I try to pitch what we're, what we're selling to be um, positive marketing. It also sounds like you have a very good grasp of the broad elements of marketing. You're not just saying, how do we advertise things? It's also saying to somebody who started new, how would you like to receive this? So you're, you're thinking about the full experience. I kind of want to get to this idea that we discussed previously, which was, you know, a lot of measures of success tend to be around growth and profit. But to some degree, you've made, or it sounds like you've made the decision not to be purely driven by a growth at all costs type of culture. And you think about success in a much more inclusive and holistic way. Can you 
talk us through how you actually do that on the ground running a business definitely and so for me the number one thing that's always going to be important regardless of how the numbers are looking am I happy and healthy are my team happy and healthy is what we're doing sustainable, not just financially, but is it sustainable mentally and is it sustainable for us to be doing this at the moment? So um, that's the first and foremost thing. Uh, is, is everyone happy and healthy? Because only if the team and like, like the nuts and bolts, if the nuts and bolts are oiled, the thing, the engine's going to work, right? So for me, it's, it's making sure that the back end of the people, the humans that exist to, that I'm so grateful to be able to employ um, are knowing what their purpose is there. So even someone who's packing bags at Chaiwali, they'll see, I always remind them what their greater purpose is at Chaiwali. Like this is the end product of what you're doing. And so that they get a 360 degree understanding of that. But in terms of, I guess, the growth, I think that we're moving into a time where transparency is so important in brands and consumers really, really place a lot of importance on where your products come from, how you source your products. So for me, it's, I'm a small business and I'm growing. Who can I bring up along the way as well? Who can I support? So we support, we've, I've made the decision that to support small, small scale businesses, um, organic and fair trade tea farms, single origin. And I, that could come from my background as a lawyer where I used to work with B Corp, the B Corporation, um, quite a bit, and I would help other companies become B Corps. Like, so although I don't run a not-for-profit and I don't run a B Corp either, I can still have the values of a conscious good business. It sounds also that your concept of success is a different concept. I think so, yeah. I think, And although I do put measures on myself, like I do have targets like financial KPIs, blah, blah, blah. I put that on myself on a, like a and I review everything financially. And so, but at the same time for, for me to be successful, it's not just year on year growth. It's a combination of all the different elements of sustainability. How have you coped with COVID? Mm. I was really scared last year when it first hit us. So I, but I'm, a, I think I'm a natural problem, problem solver. And when I go into like problem solving mode, when there is chaos, so I go immediately try to fight the fires. So last year was a massive year of creating new products, shifting what we're doing to be like, I launched Opma's pantry range, which was essential spices and different things that you could use at home. I started doing virtual workshops, which have now done really well. And I first thought we were not going to do well because of a lot of our revenue comes from wholesale clients like B2B. Um, but B2C in terms of our online store really picked up. And I noticed that people really wanted to support small business in Australia. People really wanted to support um, Australian made. So I saw that change. And so now I'd say that my, in terms of COVID, it's staying on top of the regulations and the changing environment, which for a business owner, the small business owner, um, it's, it's a daily thing to make sure mm. that my team are, are okay, that they're feeling okay and checking in with them as well. I think we've seen a lot of businesses, particularly small to medium-sized businesses, able to change their business model a little bit as a result. How sustainable do you think, you know, the, the smaller, the, the business model you've currently got is? What, you know, what are your next kind of steps in terms of the future of Chaiwali? 
Well, I come from a, a cloud-based background. So when I was working as a, as a lawyer, my main client was Hub, co-working space. So we were working, My it was a, a firm called Clearpoint Council, which was already um, cloud-based, paperless and all that, um, all, the, all those beautiful terms that are <laughs> now used. And so I was already familiar with a lot of tech um, softwares that I implemented into my business, which is great. So we're completely cloud-based other than the actual product in terms of packing it and sending it. Everything else, my inventory is cloud-based. Like I had a girl working, which was great, remotely for about three years and she was a full-time house sitter and she'd house sit across Australia. And so she worked with us part-time and managed our warehouse inventory remotely. Mm. She knew the ins and outs of everything because she was our inventory manager remotely. So I was already really set up for that. So I think in terms of the sustainability of us going through COVID, I think we, we are, we're okay. I'm set, I've set it up so that um, we can grow in that way. But in terms of what's next, I think for me, it's surviving and I'm going, I'm at that stage now. Like I left my job as a lawyer four years ago. And so this is, I guess, grunt time um, for me in terms of, sustaining what I have and growing it and keeping the, and maintaining the passion, maintaining the why, because when you're running a small business that can easily go amiss. And there's a lot of self-awareness and a lot of work that needs to go into maintaining a small business and growing it. One of the things I've often noticed is that the movement from a small business to a medium sized business is one of the most difficult because you go from being a very entrepreneurial all person of all trades looking after everything to start to think about okay what what is my role in this organization are you thinking that through is is you know the medium size something that you're aiming for and are you planning for that um at the moment it's very much uh centered around covid so I, although i would love to be forward like think forwardly and plan forwardly but to be honest completely frank it's mm. It's, there's so much pressures at the moment on running a business, um, reducing staff hours so that no, there's not too many people in the warehouse and all that. So at the moment, I'm very much in the business. I'm yeah. not forward planning. And also, I can't forward plan too much because of the COVID situation. Because So even if I do, things can change rapidly. I think that's something we've all learned is that you can have plans, but those plans need to be flexible. Anyone who's yeah. booked on Airbnb would know that. And so that brings us to a close for the Marketing Lab at Deakin for 2021. We'll be back again in February in 2022. We'll be monthly, hopefully, by then, um, and there'll be more information to update you. But thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you to all of our listeners around the world. It's fantastic to have so many people listening. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, however you want to um, approach it. Hopefully you'll get a break here at summer. I'm off to the beach for a couple of weeks. Hopefully you get to have some break over the Christmas break. Take care, stay safe, and talk to you all in 2022.